Good morning. Um, Caleb, thank you for the privilege that you've extended to me to, to be here today, um, to share in the excitement of the baptism of my oldest grandson, um, Gabriel. Before I do that little exercise I would like to do, I, I'd like for my two sons to come up here and Sit right here on the corner over here, please. Away from me. Not close to me, I said away from me. I don't know what he's going to do. Armpit sweat? There's about... What? I said Jamie's probably got armpit sweat. The... Uh, I'm trying to think that probably David was still in diapers, so he would be probably about 11. Um, this is going to get awkward, I'm sure. The, uh, how many of you have a, a sibling, older or younger? Yeah, anybody? You got siblings? Did you get along with your siblings? I, uh, I, what was that? Not, okay. Kind of on the edge. So, Caleb, imagine this. Caleb's hyperactive. Regina, you're kind of going like this. Is that... I, okay. So, he kept harassing his younger brother. There's about three years difference between the two of them. Four. Come on. And so... We kept telling Caleb, you, you need to, you, you're going you're to reap what you sow because you keep harassing, well, you, you uh, harassing your brother. It's going to come back to bite you. So we just moved back from Wyoming to, to Oklahoma. We lived on um, Harwood Drive. Of course, that's a, a nice home. And, and of course, there was some fussing going on between the two boys and, and, uh, we're sitting in the living room and the kitchen's right there next to the living room. And we see David, little diaper David, walk into the kitchen. And we, there's a drawer where Janie kept the pots and pans down low underneath the oven. She, we hear the drawer pull out. And there, just a, just a minute later, comes David walking back by toward the, where the kids were in the bedroom playing. And there he's got a frying pan Janie's, I think, Katie, you still have that frying pan? Where's Katie? You still got that frying pan? Okay. And here's David. And by the way, it's long, handles long enough, he's dragging it on the floor. And just a few seconds later, we hear this whang. And Caleb started to scream. And he came running in. David hit me over the head with the frying pan. And David just stand there just with the frying pan, just like smile on his face. You reap what you sow. That was last week's sermon. What? That was last week's sermon. You already heard that? That was last week's sermon. Did you say, did you hear, really? I didn't tell the joke, but I didn't tell that story, but that was the text. Go sit down. This, by the way, this... Uh, 
the fruit of faithfulness is borne out by a mother who prayed daily for her children to grow up in Christ and to be strong in Christ. And they're both servants of the Lord, both of them. And they married wonderful, godly wives. Uh, they're both here. Uh, they're raising their children in the faith. And what a joy it is to watch them grow and to see how God answered prayer specifically regarding these two boys. And we prayed together, Janie would pray earnestly that these boys would marry faithful wives, um, godly wives, and that they grow up in the faith and here they are. And God answers prayer, so don't ever think that God doesn't answer prayer. And don't think there wasn't some rocky spots along the way. Um, there's some rocky spots that were along the way. I, I can tell you that. Well, again, I, uh, let, let's get down to brass tacks. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 3. Matthew, chapter 3. Today we're talking about the subject of baptism and what it is, and what we believe about baptism. And not only that, but why we believe it. And I'm going to show you in just a moment that Jesus put a tremendous emphasis on the subject of baptism. Now, some folks would say that this particular subject is not important at all. Why waste our time? Let's talk about something important. Now, listen to me carefully, beloved. Friend, I cannot think of a subject that is much more important uh, apart from your faith, apart from your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not know of a subject that is much more important than this subject that we're going to broach uh, this morning about baptism. Now, Matthew chapter 3, I want you to look at verse 13, 313. Are you there? Yes. One of you, okay. Verse 13. Then cometh Jesus. Now, now listen where he comes from. He comes from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. From, from Galilee to Jordan. Now, this, we're looking at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Galilee was a region in the upper part of the land of Palestine. And Jordan is a river there. And the trip from, that Jesus made in verse 13 from Galilee to Jordan is a trip one way of about 60 miles. Now, let me tell you how he got there. He walked. 60 miles, Jesus walked. We're talking about his baptism. One way. Now, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 28. And I want you to know that, that God the Father was always delighted with God the Son. And we come to the place of his baptism. And we see in Matthew chapter 28... Verse 18. Now, if you, how many, how many of you ladies have ever been in WMU? I know two of you have. Okay. This is the watchword and song of the WMU, starting in verse 18. Matthew 28, verse 18. 
And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All authority. The word power, there are two words in the Greek language for the word uh, power. One is exousion, and the other is dunamis. The word that's used here for power is the word uh, exousion, dunamis, which means strictly authority. Um, dunamis is the root word, Greek word, from which we get our English word dynamite from, dunamis. Um, so all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth, verse 19. And, and, and because Jesus has that authority, he says to his followers, go ye therefore and teach all nations. And what are they, what's he tell them? What do they have to do? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Now I want to pause right there, just an aside. Now listen to me carefully. The phrase Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is not plural, it is singular. It is singular. The name, through Scripture, we have several names for God. But as we come to the New Testament, there is a singular name for God, and it is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They're combined. The three are, the three are one. The three are one. And here we find the name in the singular. Moving on to verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And there Jesus said, uh, Amen. Now, let me, let me tell you why I read Matthew uh, at the very beginning. We read Matthew 3, and then we ended with reading Matthew chapter 28. Let me tell you why. In these two different passages of Scripture, um, in these two places, you have the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have the ending of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. In these two places, we're talking about his public ministry. It lasted three years. We see it at the beginning, and we see the end. And Jesus began his public ministry by being what? Baptized. Jesus ended his public ministry by commanding the church to do what? To baptize. Now get that. Now think about that. He started with baptism. And then he ended his ministry, earthly, earthly, his present earthly ministry, by commanding the church to baptize. Now, don't you make a mistake of minimizing what the Lord Jesus Christ so emphasized. And he did emphasize this. Now, some folks will say, you know, Brother Gordon, I, I hear what you say, but you know, it, it really doesn't... Caleb, I, this thing is like trying to ride a bull up here. I think you did this on purpose. Of course I did. Let's do it this way. See if I can have a little better success. Be patient with me here for a second. Again, some people will say, well, you know, it, it just really doesn't matter. It makes no difference at all if you're baptized or not. 
And along with that, Brother Gordon, it really doesn't make any difference how you're baptized. Makes no difference at all. Now, again, Jesus began his public ministry of only three years. And you think of all the things Jesus could have said or done or emphasized in those three years. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ chose to emphasize baptism in such a phenomenal way. Now, um, they, uh, Jesus said to his disciples at his, the ending of his public ministry, it pertained to baptism, didn't it? It began with baptism. He commanded baptism. So don't you think, now, now look, you know, as you get a little older, you think about death and dying, don't you? Seems to anymore. We're surrounded by that, that thing called death. Um, don't you think that the Lord Jesus Christ, the most important things that he would sell, tell his disciples would pertain to things that he thought were the most important? Isn't that what you do? If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, wouldn't you gather your family around you and say, okay, now, I'm, I'm going to give you some instructions before I, I leave. We all think we're going to die that way, don't we? We think we're going to feel a pain somewhere. And we're going to go to the doctor and the doctor is going to say, you've got uh, three days to live. You need to get your affairs in order. And we think we're going to go home, crawl in bed, call our family around us and say, um, this is how I want things to be and this is how you, I think you should live and I, this is what you should do and then die. Well, that's not how life is, but Jesus knew when he was going to leave, didn't he? And he chose to emphasize in such a, uh, a phenomenal way the subject of baptism. And at the very end of his ministry, he brought everything into a burning focus with what we call today the Great Commission. Now, what I'm trying to say is this. Don't you ever lessen or make light of what Jesus so emphasized. All right. Now, let's talk about another subject. There are three views of baptism today. Two, two of them are wrong. Three views on baptism, two of them are wrong. One group says, well, baptism's not important at all. That's wrong. That's view number one. View number two, there are those on the other side who say, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Uh, that's wrong too. They, that is, these religions that make baptism a part of salvation. And don't you believe that thought? They say you cannot get to heaven unless you're baptized. Don't you believe that? That's just not, that's not taught in Scripture. It is wrong. Why? Because baptism, whether a spoonful or a lakeful, will not take away your sins. It won't, water won't wash away your sins. You are saved by grace through faith in the shed blood of the Lamb of God. That's, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm not teaching baptism is necessary to go to heaven. I'm saying it again. I am not teaching that baptism is necessary to go to heaven. Some people think that uh, when we talk about this subject, uh, of course, the, the, the line that's in our faith is the word we're Baptist. And some people think that people like me are narrow-minded. 
an air-minded Baptist, and somehow that we think that only Baptists are the only ones that are going to go to heaven. I want to explain something to you. I'm a whole lot more narrow-minded than that. I don't think a lot of Baptists are going to go to heaven. Dear friend, there are a lot of people who are not Baptist. They're going to go to heaven. Did you know that? A lot of folks that are not Baptist are going to go to heaven. And many people who have been totally immersed in the water, baptismal waters, they're going to die and they're going to go right straight to hell. And some people who have never been ever baptized at all are going to die and go right straight to heaven. Why? Because salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ, not a creek. It's not in, not in water. It's not, it's not in a form or a ritual, whatever. The Bible teaches in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Don't go there, but just jot it down. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Right? Someone say amen. amen. All right, thank you. I wonder. So the point is, if you're trusting Christ, you're going to go to heaven. If you're not, you're not going to go to heaven and that's it. Now, I'm saying this plainly because we need to find out what the Word of God teaches about baptism. And then we need to start obeying what the Word of God teaches. Because, listen, obedience, obedience is necessary for fruitfulness and joy in the Christian life. You have, in order to find joy in the Christian life, you have to say yes to the Savior and obey Him. You remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Um, well, go to, go to Matthew chapter 5. You're in Matthew still in 28. Back up to chapter 5. Look at verse 19. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 19. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so... He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see what that says? Jesus said, whosoever shall break one of these commandments and teach men so, the same shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, it doesn't say don't get there, right? What does it say? It just says he'll be called what? The least. Now, when you get to heaven, do you want to sit in the corner on the stool like I just did with a hat that says least in the kingdom? I don't want that. Do you? Now, let me explain something else. I'm not trying to teach you the Baptist way of baptism. This is not the Baptist way that we're speaking of this morning. This is the Bible way, the Word of God way. This is what the Word of God teaches. Not the Baptist way. Now, some people say, now, wait a minute. Brother Gordon, I hear what you're saying, but you have, the, you have the Baptist way, you have the Methodist way, you have the Presbyterian way, you have the Episcopalian way, you have the Congregational way, you have the Wesleyan way, you have the Nazarene way, and on and on and on and on it goes. No, 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 no. There's but one method of water baptism taught in the Bible. There's one, one method in the Bible. You see, if you, if we have any Baptist doctrine, we need to get rid of it. 
And conversely, if you have any Methodist doctrine, you know what you need to do with it? Get rid of it. Presbyterian, Episcopalian, just put a line in there. If, if you have that doctrine, listen, it needs to be replaced with what the Word of God teaches, right? That's it. Um, it. We need to come to the place to see what God says and then obey what God says. Would you agree with that? Amen. All right. Now, if what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to find out what the, we are going to find out together what the word of God teaches about baptism. And if the Bible does not teach it, then I don't expect you or I to obey it. But if the Bible does teach it, then I expect that we would believe it, obey it, regardless of what somebody else says. If the word of God teaches it, then we need to obey what God says. Now, I'm going to show you from the word of God this morning. And if I don't forget it, if I do, if I show you from the word of God, then I expect that we need to be obedient. Now, we need to learn to adjust our faith to match what the Bible teaches, not adjust the Bible to what we want to believe. What does God teach? Well, number one, let's look at number one. Let's look at the method. All right. I want you to go to Mark. Leave Matt, and we're, we'll be in a number of scriptures, but go to Mark chapter 1. Mark 1. Let's talk about the method of baptism, number one. You can take your pencils and you can write. It, there's, not, by the way, there's nothing wrong with writing in your Bible. So don't, don't feel it's sacrilegious. Mine is marked all over. I've, and I've, this is my fourth, this is my number four Schofield. The others are tattered, worn, and falling apart. And there's, I wrote all over them. Uh, you continue to do the same. Mark your Bibles. There's nothing wrong with it. So what is the, what is the biblical method of baptism? Now, I want to show you beyond any shadow of any doubt that the Bible teaches the Bible method of baptism is by immersion. It's by immersion. Let's look at Mark chapter 1. Look at verse 8. Mark 1, 8. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. All right. So the first thing you see in Mark chapter one, verse eight, about the, we're talking about jot down method. And the method is number one, it takes water. Would you agree that it says that? Yes. It takes water. Water. Um, in the second place, I want you to leave there and go to John chapter three, John three. Keep up. I don't have these marked. I'm flipping to them just like you are. John chapter 3. And look at verse 23. Takes water. Number 2, second thought. Verse 23, John 3, 23. And John, was also, and John also was baptizing in Jordan, Anon. That's Jordan. Jordan River. Near to Salem. Salem is what? Jerusalem. Jerusalem is Salem. And why was he baptizing there? Because there was much water. And they came and they were baptized. It takes water, right? Number two, it takes much water. Now, let me explain. Let me pause for just a second. 
There is no one place in the Word of God that, that is, there's no place in the Bible that pauses at one particular spot and says, let me outline to you baptism. This is how you do it. Well, there's no place in the Bible that's like that. You have to do a composite. That is, we pull Scripture in context. That's what we're doing. A verse out of context is pretext. We're taking these verses in their context and we're learning how the Bible, we're teaching how the Bible uh, instructs us to do baptism. That's why we're doing this composite study. It takes water. Number two, it takes much water. Now, it'd be much easier for us as a church, uh, First Baptist Church of Cedarvale, if we were to sprinkle somebody, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be um, much easier than to immerse somebody? In fact, you know what we could do? I, I, I bet with, if, if I were to get Speedy over here, um, Scooter, thank you, to go downstairs and get me a pail of water, I expect I could, with that pail of water, I would sprinkle it, I guarantee I could baptize everyone in here, couldn't I? I could. I mean, it'd be much easier. And you ladies that work hard to make you put your makeup on and do your hair and stuff, wouldn't that be much to your advantage where, you know, I, I got a new do. I don't want uh, to mess up my hair. In fact, the wind was blowing so hard when I came into church and messed up my hair, dude. Um, but, friend, it, it takes a lot of water to baptize, doesn't it? It takes water, number two. It takes much water. Now, again, it, it would be more convenient, wouldn't it, to sprinkle? Wouldn't it be more convenient? Yes. But I hope that you're not looking for a religion of convenience. Beloved, if you're building your relationship with Christ on convenience, you just, well, forget it. I guarantee it exists out there somewhere on the Internet. But I guarantee there are churches out there that all you have to do is, is email them a picture of you and they'll go through a pseudo-baptism. You know, they'll put water on the screen and then drag your picture through the water and say you've been baptized. I look for that to happen. I'll be, I, and I, it, don't you, I'll be, it's out there somewhere, isn't it? There's some church out there that's done exactly that. Exactly. Or probably you could do it over your cell phone. Hey, I need to be baptized. Okay, baptize you. Okay, it's done. It's out there. But Jesus went 60 miles on foot one way to be baptized. Now, G now listen, Jesus could have been baptized in his own hometown if he would just sprinkle. He could have. Right there in his own hometown. But it takes water and it takes much water. Number three, go to Acts chapter 8. This is a composite, remember? Acts the 8th chapter. Acts 8, and let's look at verse uh, 36. Acts 8, verse 36. I'll give you a second to get there. This is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember, the eunuch has, has left Jerusalem. The eunuch went to Jerusalem looking for God. He'd search for God and search for God and search for God in Jerusalem. At their highest, at, at Passover, the highest holy day, in Israel was Passover. He went to Jerusalem to worship and to, to find God. 
And he left Jerusalem disappointed because guess what? He couldn't find God. He didn't find him. And so he's writing back. He's, he's a treasure for the, uh, for the queen. And he's going back and he's trying to understand what the Bible is teaching him. Um, where he says, uh, he says uh, to Philip, as Philip came along and walked alongside his, his uh, entourage, right next to the eunuch, eunuch in verse 30, Philip ran thither to him and heard him read from the prophet Isaiah and said, hey eunuch, do you understand exactly what you're reading? And he said, how in the world can I accept some man should guide me? And God provided that man in the form of Philip, didn't he? And here's what happened. As we look at here in Acts, we find that uh, Philip, we come to the, a certain water. Let's, let's go to verse 35. Then Philip opened, are you with me? Yeah. All right, Acts 8, 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him, J-E, S-U-S. Isn't there just something about that name? Makes you want Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. Just rolls right off the tongue. And here, here he preached to him, J-E-S-U-S. -S. And as they went on their way, verse 36, they came into a certain water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Do you see that? So it takes water. It takes much water. It takes a going down into the water. Is that what the word of God teaches? It's what it says. Verse 38. And they, the two of them went down both into the water. They went down into the water. Number four. Go to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six and look at verse four. Romans chapter six and verse four. I'll give you a second to get there. Here's Paul describing baptism and the function number four it takes a burial beneath the water look at verse four Romans 6 4 therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father even so we also should walk in newness of life it takes water it takes much water it takes a going down into the water it takes a burial Beneath the water, we're buried, we are buried with him by baptism into his death. It takes a burial beneath the water. As a matter of fact, baptism symbolizes a burial. Now, um, let's, can I pause here and do a little exercise? We'll cover the other two points in just a moment. I'd like to grab Carter and my grandson. Let's do a little illustration here, if I, if I may. A little flexibility in church. I like the flexibility, that's why I had him. Come on up here, lad. Stand up on that. You can't, can't run down if you stand. 
You have to stand on it. It's okay. Don't be afraid. Now, I want you. How do you still have an imagination? Raise your hand. Oh my. Some of you need help. <laughs> Don't lose your imagination. So we're standing in the water. There's water over there, right? Okay. And in just a moment, we're going to baptize. Get you in a comfortable position. He's going to baptize you symbolically. He's, he's not going to drop you. Yeah. Takes water. Takes much water. Takes going down into the water. It takes a burial beneath the water. So we've got a tank full of water right here. How many can see it now? Oh, come on. Can you see it? Uh, all right. Now, so raise up your... Raise up your right hand and say, I baptize you, my little brother. I baptize you, my little brother. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, now you're going to lean, lean. Just put your arms like this. Hard, lock them hard. Now stiffen up. Lean right straight back. Don't leave him there. Okay. I thought he said leave him there. I would. Okay, do, do you see that? It begins to, we begin to have an illustration. It takes a burial beneath the water. It takes a burial beneath the water. Thank you, gentlemen. You did a fine job. Appreciate your help in making this illustration. Next point. I want you to see. It takes a burial beneath the water. I want you to go to Mark, back to Mark chapter 1, where we started this study. Sometimes this thing's supposed to be over read. I can tell I'm over time already. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Mark 1, 9. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. Now listen carefully to verse 10. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. Do you see the verse 10? And, and Jesus was baptized in verse 10 and straightway coming up out of the water. Out of the water. It takes, it takes water. It takes much water. It takes the going down into the water. It takes a barrel beneath the water. It takes the coming up out of the water. Now let me ask you a question. Did Jesus come up out of the water? Yes or no? All right. The question is, since he came up out of the water, you tell me where he was before he came up out of the water. <laughs> he came up out of it because he was under it. It's exactly right. Let me emphasize this. Jesus Christ was not sprinkled. Do you understand that? It's true. He wasn't, he wasn't sprinkled. Jesus was baptized by immersion. And churches from the very beginning of the New Testament church, churches baptized by immersion, all churches baptized by immersion, until the Inquisition by the Catholic Church began. And that's when sprinkling began with the Catholic Church. They did that out of convenience. The Catholic Church taught that in order to go to heaven, 
you had to be a member of the Catholic Church. And to be a member of the Catholic Church, you had to be baptized in the Catholic Church. And you had to be baptized by one of their officials in order to go to heaven. So now on the fields of the Crusades of Europe, at the point of the sword, the Catholic Church enforced their religion on hundreds of thousands of heretics, is what they refer to them as. And at the point of death, remember that in order the Catholic Church taught in order to go to heaven, you had to be baptized by them, right? That's what they taught. By the way, they still hold to that very thought to this day. They do. But how do you baptize somebody that's on the field of battle and they're not next to a river or a pond or a lake or a stream and there's no water except what a, 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 a church official, a priest who carry? So here's this guy dying on the field of battle and this priest comes along and says, are you Catholic? No. Well, you're not going to go to heaven. Don't you want to go to heaven? Yeah. Well, how am I going to get there? You need to be baptized. I can't drag you in the water because you're dying. So they came up uh, section 1215 of the ordinances of the Catholic Church teach they, they began to allow baptism by sprinkling. And they sprinkled them on the field of battle according to their teaching of, which is completely wrong they got to go to heaven. Now, where did the uh, Catholic Church uh, after the after 1517 at Wittenberg, when Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the church house door, began what we call the Reformation. And the Dark Ages came to an end, and the Age of Reformation came, the Reformed Church. And Luther, who was a Catholic monk, was born again, gloriously born again, genuinely saved. And Luther didn't want to leave the Catholic Church, he wanted to reform the Catholic Church. That's what he wanted to do. That was his, his sole desire was to change the way the church believed about salvation, that, that you had to do works to be saved. But, but that Luther saw that that's not true. The just shall live by faith. Romans 1. That's what he saw. And they kicked Luther out of the Catholic church and his followers formed a church called the Lutherans. And they, they, the one thing that they did change in the Lutheran church is salvation is by grace and faith. But they didn't change baptism. They kept sprinkling. Then we come to the Church of England. Henry VIII um, wanted a divorce from his wife. The Pope wouldn't give it to him. Henry VIII, King of England. The Pope wouldn't give it to him, so the Henry said, either you do or I'm kicking you out of England. Well, he wanted to marry a woman by the name of Anne Boleyn. Carry your head underneath your arm. Um, he, uh, he got rid of his wife and married Anne Boleyn and became the head of the church. Henry VIII became the head of the church, the Catholic Church in England. And all he did was change the name of it to the Anglican Church, the Church of England. All the practices, everything stayed. It was the Catholic Church in England. Nothing was changed except the name. Out of, the, out, of that, out, of the, out of that church, the Church of England, and the Lutheran Church, and the Catholic Church, came another reformer by the name of John Calvin, who birthed the church that is called the Presbyterian Church. And he saw salvation by grace through faith also. And so Calvin started the Presbyterian Church. 
It was it broke off, broke away from the Catholic Church in France. He was a Frenchman. He's a French Frenchman. He broke away from the Catholic Church, and just like he was a friend of Martin Luther's, they were acquaintances. And and what happened is they taught the right way of salvation, but they taught the wrong way of baptism. Just ran off in a ditch. Come to America, the Congregationalists. You go to England. The reformer in England was a guy by the name of John Wesley. My wife and I went to Europe just after we were married. We spent three weeks in Europe, and we went to John Wesley's house and went to the graveyard where John Wesley stood on his mother's grave and preached to tens of thousands of people that they're saved by grace and faith. Remember, he, remember Henry took over the Church of England? Well, Wesley wanted to reform the church. He, he didn't want to leave it. He wanted the church to change. Well, the church kicked John Wesley out. And Wesley, because, by the way, Wesley was very methodical in his worship. And the followers of John Wesley were called Methods. Or Method. Method. This. Methodist. And he didn't change anything. He changed the way you say, by grace are you saved through faith, and that alone. But he didn't change baptism. Left it alone. You come to America, and you got the Presbyterian Church that gave birth to the Congregationalists, and I mean, and, and the Wesleyans, the Nazarenes, and the Methodists, the, the Nazarene Church, and they all kept sprinkling, sprinkling for baptism. Now, I'm going to end with this. What is the most important message in the entire world? Is there anything more important than the gospel? Because it is through the gospel that you're saved, that you're born again. That's how you're saved. Now, who hates the gospel more than anybody else? Satan. Right. Satan hates the gospel more than anything else. And if he could change the gospel, don't you think he, in fact, don't you think he's doing a pretty good job of destroying the gospel in our day, yes or no? Yeah, yeah he is. He's so deluded the gospel, people don't even know what, what it means to be saved. They don't. Because the truth is not being told. And Satan is destroying the work of Christ through error. 2 Timothy 2.15 says that we're to rightly divide the word of truth. Truth. That's, the word, that's what I'm doing. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Because you know what? If we don't rightly divide, we're going to wrongly divide. That's right. And we'll destroy the church of the living God. That's what's wrong. We're wrongly dividing the word. Jesus emphasized baptism in a wonderful way. And the baptism... Baptism teaches the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Did you see it when Carter was standing up here and he was baptized? Death, burial, resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. Now let me ask you a question. I wish I had a cup of water. Oh, I do have some water. All right. I baptized you in the name of the Father, Son. And hold it. <laughs> all right. Now, let me ask you a question. Was he buried? I mean, let, let's say, all right, let's say I die right now. I collapse on the floor. I'm dead. Somebody's going to try and save me, aren't you? 
Now what? My, you're a nurse. You come up and try and say that. So she pronounces and say, he's dead. Let's bury him. So you take me out in front of the churchyard right here on the corner. And somebody gets a handful of dirt and walks up and throws that handful of dirt in my face and say, he's buried. Now you come back in several days and I want you to know what it's going to smell like. That is, not, that is not a burial, is it? Sprinkling is not a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. It's not. And if Satan could change any method, any message, it would be the method of baptism. Because if you change the method, you destroy the meaning. If you change the method, you destroy the meaning. You change the way it's done, you lose the meaning. It has none. It has none. And there's only one kind of baptism, and that's believer's baptism. That's it. Believer's baptism. You're not baptized to be saved. You're baptized because you are saved. And Jesus said in John 14, if you, if you love me, keep my commandments. Be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been, and by the way, remember it's only believer's baptism. You don't get baptized as a child. Get saved later as a teenager and adult and say, Well, I was baptized. No, you need to be baptized. If you've never been baptized, it's believer's baptism. And it, it is by immersion only. Now, I'm going to open the floor at this point. Anybody have any questions to me about baptism? Don't be shy. At a time like this. Don't, remember in class, there's one guy in the back room, you're hoping the class is over, and there's some wise guy in the back room. Hey, Jerry, and you go, oh, God. Okay. Father, thank you for this time together to, to worship in spirit and in truth. And Father, thank you for the opportunity to display the gospel as, as my grandson Gabriel is advertised that he belongs to you. That he's entered into your death, your burial, and your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.